Well, good morning. It's good to be here. As I said in our opening, it's so good to see you all. Uh, my name is Rich, as, as my wife mentioned earlier. Uh, Pastor John, uh, sitting over here, signed up to teach kids in the 9 o'clock service. So thank you for that, John. So obviously he, he couldn't... So if, uh, if, you have, if you have a heart for children, it's a good thing to do. Go down and take care of our kids down there. So since he was doing that, he asked me to step into the pulpit and uh, back him up a little bit this morning. It is my, my honor to be here and continue our service as we're walking through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. As we're walking and, and expounding and this greatest sermon that was ever preached, my job today is to look at it, and I'm, I come with a little bit of fear and trembling because this is the Lord's sermon himself speaking. So, I mean, what can I possibly say to that? But uh, my prayer is humbly that we'd be able to walk through it, make some application to us. Uh, if you notice, Heather read the, the text, and hopefully you were following along, is on our screen. And it's, there's some sayings in there that I think a lot of us have used in the past. Uh, some simple things, um, and we use them sometimes as rules. We've used them sometimes as uh, uh, maybe some judgments. Maybe you kind of roll those up figuratively and poke somebody in the eye with them. Uh, use them to maybe try to teach somebody something. Uh, but that's not what Jesus intended for those things to be used for. They were examples for us to develop our character and the nature of who we are and to align that with his heart. So if you don't remember anything else from today, I hope that's what you get out of this. We, I've got a, a sermon titled Perfected Character. We're going to talk about what that means in a minute. I've got a main point, but if you fall asleep or you start surfing your phone because I'm boring, that's okay. Just remember that God is all about changing our heart and our character, not about us climbing some kind of rung to him to, for achievement purposes. He wants us to be with him and develop that his heart to see other people through that. So if you would open up your if your Bibles, if you have them open, or scroll to your text to chapter 5, we're going to walk through it and hope you make some application. Um, but I was struck, um, I was able to, this past week, I traveled to England for the first time in my life. It was, it was a fantastic trip, and I was uh, meeting some people there, and I was in one of these old monasteries. It's now a college. And I learned while I was there that the, the college system from the 17 and 1800s was they really started as monasteries. So they're enclosed um, buildings, and they all lived there together. They lived with their professors, and they were, again, they started as monasteries. So they were training young men, and now men and women, to be pastors, to be educated in classical uh, education so that they can impact their community for Christ. And a couple of them I was able to go to, these, these beautiful little structures and um, the Brits described it to me as, this is very Harry Potterish. Well, I've never seen the movie, so I'm just going to trust that you all have. Uh, and apparently it was very Harry Potterish, um, but it was kind of postcard England of what you think about, old uh, brick and sandstone, magnificent, beautiful structures. The last one I went into, they said this is kind of a newer one. It, it, it uh, was built 1870, which, you know, we were around at that point in our country, but still kind of an old building. It was It was beautiful. Uh, it was like four stories quad, and they, they lived, the students lived there. But in one corner was this very tall, very large, elaborate chapel. And this particular college was dedicated to the resurgence of the Church of England into this high church uh, form of worship. And so they built all the things in this church to reflect the glory and grandeur and nature and beauty of God. And that was the, the cornerstone of one area of their quad. And we had a reception, so I'm standing out there and we're talking about this beautiful structure and what it was designed for, what it was intended to be. 
We also noticed over on the other side of the quad, on the other corner, was this kind of tower. And on that tower was a tall flagpole. And that's where they fly the British flag to represent their country under God and under the Church of England. However, on Thursday night, it wasn't the British flag that was flying. They were flying the pride flag. So that was a, an indication of what's important to them. And this month... Uh, you know, we're, it's been declared Pride Month. And I'm not sure where you stand on those issues, but I know where the Word of God stands on it. I know where our church stands on it. But what I find interesting is in these ideologies, as we're, as we're talking about in our culture and our society and our, in our uh, politics, it's become very divisive. And there's been a lot of hate thrown back and forth. And Christ is addressing this in this text. And He's saying, I want you to stand for truth, I want you to develop the heart that I have. I want you to be perfected, as it says in verse 48. But he also, he says, I want you to couch all that with love because you're representing me. And really what he's saying when it boils down to it, it's okay if you disagree with somebody, but you don't need to be disagreeable and hateful. So as we're navigating this as Christians in our society of, of, of things that we may disagree with in our ideology, how are we as Christians to approach that? How are we as Christians who love Christ and represent Him and His sons and His daughters, how should we treat everybody else that we may disagree with? And Jesus is saying, big picture, love them because I have first loved you. And what I see with, uh, really when you think about the movements that are probably counter to God and what we would believe as Christians, what I see is people trying to find meaning and purpose in their life. For God built into each one of us a desire, a desire and a drive to have meaning and purpose. To answer those big philosophical questions in life that you may not think about on a day-to-day basis, but you actually quite think about it quite frequently. What are you designed to do? What is your purpose in life? Why are you here? Why have you been able to accomplish the things or gone through the things that God has allowed you to do? He has a purpose for you. And we don't have all those answers, and it's a lifelong pursuit. But Jesus is saying, as we seek those, I need you to develop the character of my heart so I can reveal that purpose to you. I can reveal the end state. I can reveal where I'm taking you or the chief end. And that's what we're going to get down to verse 48 in the end. He's going to answer that question for us. But since I was in England, I was thinking uh, uh, through this and about what is our purpose? What is the chief end of life? And I thought about the date 1648. Okay, I'll be honest, I looked it up. I I was thinking about what happened around that time. I didn't know the date. 1648, the Westminster Shorter Catechism. This was written in 1648 by the Church of England, got together with the Church of Scotland. Now, a little bit of their history, they didn't really like each other, the English and the Scots, and they kind of killed each other quite a bit. But around this time, they said, you know what, we're both Christian, let's come together, let's agree on some things and stop being hateful. And he said, what is the chief end of man? And the answer to that question is, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him and enjoy Him forever. So they wrote these catechisms, and there's, there's hundreds of these questions. That's why this is a shorter one for those who have short memories. There is a longer one. And they wrote these as repetitive question and answer, and you memorize these because most of the population was actually illiterate. So they couldn't read God's Word. Well, I'm looking across this 2023 crowd, and I'm assuming that most of you all are probably literate. You can read God's Word. So God has left this for us and allowed us to do this, so we don't have to memorize these things, but 
they're still good for us to, to think about. Let's go to, let's go to the next one. So this is the New City Catechism. Uh, I put the, the website there, so if you take a picture of that, write that down. So this is kind of a modern version of the same thing, developed a couple years ago by some of our great uh, scholars. And they kind of do the same thing. They walk through these questions and answers. And I found it to be useful as a, as a devotion. There's an app actually now, and it should point you to uh, the text that it's talking about for each question, and it gives you a little devotional reading uh, from some of the historic uh, theologians. But they, ask it, they get to the same question this way. So how can we glorify God? We glorify God by enjoying Him, loving Him, trusting Him, and by obeying His will, His commands, and His law. And they're quoting Deuteronomy 11. As I said, we all are looking for purpose and meaning in our life, but the struggle we find sometimes is we forget about this, and we try to find our purpose and our meaning by who we are internally. Jesus here in this text is telling us to look external. He wants to develop us externally by what He is driving us to, what He is calling us to, to that end purpose in our life is to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever instead of trying to enjoy life from what we think is right, the relative truth in our culture today. And you've heard it this way. People say, yeah, I know you, you may disagree on this, this idea of, of Pride Month, but uh, that's true for me and it's not true for you. And your truth is not my truth. That's relative. Because if there's a disagreement there, and it's, they're both claiming a, a truth claim, that somebody's truth claim is not right. But Jesus is saying, that doesn't mean you hate them. He's saying, love them. Try to seek understanding with them. But at the same time, don't um, affirm what they're doing. Stand on the Word of God. And he says it this way in Leviticus. Let's pull up that Leviticus. Let's walk through this for a minute. Because this is going to take us into, launch us into what Jesus is talking about. Back in the book of Leviticus, anybody done a, a, a deep study or devotion Leviticus recently? Nobody? You have? Okay, Leviticus. We're going to talk about Old Testament a lot this morning. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 22. You shall therefore keep all my statutes and all my rules and do them, that the land where I'm bringing you to may live, bringing you to to live, may not vomit it or not vomit you out, rather. So God has taken the Israelites into a country, into a new land. And he says, keep all my statutes and rules and do them, or the land that I'm bringing you to will vomit you out. That's kind of picturesque, right? So it's kind of serious about following my rules. Verse 23, and you shall not walk in the customs of the nation that I'm driving out before you, for they did all these things, and therefore I detested them. But I have said to you, you shall inherit their land, and I give it to you to possess a land flowing with milk and honey. I am the Lord your God who separated you from the peoples. So God is saying, I am the holy God. Listen to what I'm telling you. It's going to be better for you in the end. You may not understand it. You may disagree with the people in your land, but follow what I'm telling you to do. And let's jump down to verse 26. And he says, you shall be holy to me. For I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. God's calling him to holiness because we are his. God is holy. He said, therefore, you shall be holy. Peter says it uh, this way, 1 Peter chapter, 15, or chapter 1, he says, but as he called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So it is written, so he's quoting this Leviticus, you shall be holy for I am holy. He's calling us to holiness, but that's a, that's a high bar, isn't it? 
Here's the, here's the one true God who created the heavens and the earth, spoke them in the being. He said, He is holy. And He said, You be holy too. Well, that's easy for us to read that and go, Well, how do I do that? How do I be holy? That, that's an aspirational goal that within myself I can't do. Because, at least for me, I know my faults. And I know some of the intentions of my heart sometimes. And I'm so glad you can't read my mind because it would scare you. And I'm glad I can't read your mind. Because we live in these sinful, broken bodies and they're selfish. And we struggle with that. But God is encouraging us and, and allowing us to, in our, in our troubles and our stumbles, He's like, I'm giving you an avenue that do not sin and walk in uh, connection with me. Through Christ, He's like, I can, I can help you get to this point. But if you rely upon everything on the inside to get to where you think is, is holy, that ladder is only going to go so far. You're going to find yourself really short of that bar. God is saying, rely upon my power and my might to do that. So our big idea today, well, I want you to see out of this text, besides some of these things that probably you have quoted, go an extra mile, turn the other cheek, love, love your enemies, pray for them. I want you to see the, um, go, to the, go to the main point. We're hung up. All right, the big idea, as she pulls it up, God calls us actively to conform our character. He calls us actively to conform our character through His supernatural power at work in us. God calls us actively to conform our character. So there's a piece of which we have in this walking in holiness and walking in perfection with Him. We've got to get to where He can work with us. We have to actively conform our character, but we do it through His supernatural power that's work in us. We'll bring it up in a minute as we fix the computer. Okay, in the passage here, Jesus gives us two specific actions of how to develop this character. Two specific actions, and there, there's one in the first paragraph and one in the second paragraph. So we're going to look at the first one, verse 38 through 42, and I'm going to read it to you again. And I want you to listen to what Jesus is saying, and he's saying, do not retaliate, but relate. Don't retaliate, but relate. He says, you have, verse 38, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And if anyone will sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Do not retaliate, but re relate. This is the fifth time in this, in this passage, uh, this Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus has said, Hey, you've heard it was said, but I say. You've heard it was said, but I say. Uh, as soon as we get caught up, I'll, just, I'll walk you through. Verse 21. Look at verse 21 with me. Verse 21, say, he, he, this is the first one where he says, You have heard it said. So in other words, you've heard it written somewhere in the Old Testament, but I say. He says, I, uh, and that was talking about murder. Do not murder. But Jesus is really saying in that text, in verse 21, he's saying, it's not just about don't kill anybody. He's saying you need to control your anger and seek reconciliation with other people before it gets to the part where you're hurting somebody. In verse 27, he says, do not, commit a multi, uh, do not commit adultery. He says, but I'm calling you to control your eye and your actions. 
So there's a character piece of that before you even get to adultery. Verse 31, he's talking about divorce. He says, if you're going to divorce, be committed. Be honorable about it. Don't just do it haphazardly. And there's a whole section on that. Verse 33, we talked about it last week. It talks about oaths. You see, I know you heard it said, but I say, be honest and be honorable. Do not lie to other people. Have an integrity piece to your character so that you can reflect the character and nature of God. So the fifth one today, we see, he says, you have heard it said, an eye for an eye or a tooth for a tooth, but I say, do not resist the one who is evil. Now what he's saying is, he's not saying be, be meek and gentle and lay down, let people just run all over you. What he's saying is don't retaliate. And he uses these metaphors in there about slapping someone on the cheek. And the idea is if someone's going to slap you on the right cheek, most of the people are right-handed, so it's kind of hard to give a good smack with the left, left hand, right? This is the backhanded slap. So if someone really, really uh, disrespects you, he's saying, turn the other cheek. Now, what he's not saying is, well, turn the other one so you can get hit again. What he's saying is, do not retaliate with the same. He's saying, take a different road. Take a higher road. But why is Jesus going through this? You've heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. It could almost seem like he's correct in the Old Testament. It could, you could read it as, well, you, you, we kind of wrote that wrong, so I'm going to fix it here in the New Testament. That's not what he's doing at all. What Jesus is doing is he is pointing out in the culture of which the, the, uh, the hearers were that day, that they, are, they know the Old Testament, but they are misinterpreting it. For the Pharisees and the scribes of the day got very legalistic, and they were following the letter of the law, and they forgot the purpose and the spirit of the law. And Jesus is reforming us back. And he's saying, hey, I got it. The words say these things, but if you just follow the letter of the law and kind of cross your fingers, put it behind your back, and you're like, wink, wink, nod, nod, I'm not going to do that, your heart is still aligned with evil. And God is saying, no, 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 get your heart right first. So this whole idea of uh, eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, that kind of sounds like retribution, doesn't it? If you hurt somebody, I'm going to hurt you. That's our natural inclination. And Jesus is saying, nope, that's not, that's not what I'm talking about. And he actually takes us back to the Old Testament. So let's go back and look at it. There's, this is in three places in the Old Testament. First of all, it's in Deuteronomy 19, and it's in the idea of someone lying in court. So if they bear false witness, the punishment of that was an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. So it's sameness. In Leviticus 24, we see it again, the same, the same idea, an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. And this is about mistreating animals. So if you mistreat someone's livestock and it, it causes some kind of uh, loss to them, a financial loss, the right correction to that is to repair that loss. So an eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth. But what I want to look at is uh, Exodus 21. This is the third place it is. And it's actually the first place it occurs. It's kind of interesting because it pictures a fight. Now, I don't know how we got into this fight, but there's two, two men are striving together. I don't know if it was a, a bad night at a bar or somebody's wedding or something, but um, it's kind of an interesting passage, kind of strange. It reads, when, when men strive together, not if because we know we like to strive and fight, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman. All right, so there's some good teaching right there. If you're going to fight with somebody, don't do it around a pregnant woman. Um, take it outside, guys. But when this happens, things happen, uh, and you hit a pregnant woman, so here's your collateral damage, so that her children come out. So there's some, 
There's some visual uh, imagery there. But there is no harm. Okay, so something happens. There's an early uh, birth because of this, uh, but the children survive, or the child. Um, has multiple in here, so it could be either one. The one who hit her shall surely be fine, so the guilty person, as the woman's husband shall impose on him, and he shall pay as the judges determine. That's very important here to remember that, as the judges determine. Verse 26, but if there is harm, so indicating that there's a loss of life, you shall pay life for life, here it is again, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, and stripe for stripe. This is what's known as the lex talionis, the law of retribution. And Jesus is saying, he's using this, and he's saying, you have heard it said, but I say. Go back to Matthew. I say, do not resist the one who is evil. That's a little bit different, isn't it? The important piece to that, that Exodus, bring it back up if you would. The Exodus piece, the context is right there in the, at the end of verse 22, before the 23 up there, as the judges determine. All three instances in the Old Testament, this eye for an eye or tooth for a tooth, was in the idea of God laying out jurisprudence. It's his idea of laying out the laws and the punishments of when we wrong one another. And when you take it to their version of court at the time, you took it to the wise, the wise men, the guys that established as judges in the city gate, and you brought your complaint, you brought your witnesses to them, and they determined what the punishment would be. This was God's guidelines of how that is to work out. And Jesus is saying, stop taking these guidelines for civil law and applying it in interpersonal relationships one-on-one. So in other words, stop holding your brother or your loved one or your family member to the same standard that's held in a court of law without proper representation. He's establishing the civil law versus relational law. And he's saying, stop Pharisees and people who are following him in your culture using and profaning these things where they never should have been used before. He's saying, I'm calling you to a higher standard. I'm calling you to go the extra miles, Christians, because you represent me. This is for the judges and the government leaders, and there's a purpose for that, and that was to purge the evil out of society, punish the wicked, and not, not to teach us to do the same in interpersonal relationships. He's teaching us to not only follow the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law as well. Now, how can this play out in our lives? Obviously, there's a negative side of this, but imagine you're driving. You might have been driving around here and caught in traffic before. What about those little choke point areas? This happens to me. And sometimes I get a little uh, retributive. So people are cutting me off. Anybody ever been there before besides me? Yeah. Uh, maybe you cut somebody off, you honk your horn, you give them the number one signal because you love them so much, right? Yeah. I'm guilty of that. Well, not the number one signal. Maybe that was it earlier in my life. God is saying, how, how could a Christian act in that standpoint? You could be a doormat and just stop and let everybody in front of you. He's saying, consider the other person more significant than yourselves. Because that person who's weaving in and out of traffic and being a jerk, they may just be a jerk. And there may be a reason for someone to ram them and slam into a barrier. Uh, but he's saying, don't do it. Because that person also could be on, in a rush to get to the hospital because their child is sick or in the emergency room. We don't know, do we? He's saying, consider others more considerate than yourselves. 
Or what about um, when you don't know the full story of others? Last night, um, or night before last, I re- returned from England, and um, I was caught in this immigration line. So it's kind of like driving. Anybody going through, the, stuck in that long immigration line, it's taking forever. Um, and I noticed uh, there was a, a couple that were behind me, like three, because we're going through the, ter- the little turnstiles, you know, when, you get, when, you, when you're getting on the, uh, the really cool roller coaster at the theme park, except this was not really cool at the end. This was just, just an immigration officer. Kind of disappointing for me. I was excited about the roller coaster. But I noticed there was this couple that were behind me. And like 30 minutes later, I noticed they were in front of me. And I thought, how did that happen? And I noticed the people behind them were just giving it to them because obviously they had snuck out and, and broke around. And I thought, man, and I got real judgment, judgmental in my head. I'm like, that's just not right. They snuck in and they, you know, they're thinking everybody else is more important to them. But I decided in that moment to, I was thinking about this passage. I'm like, how can I apply this to my own lives? So I just prayed for them. I just prayed silently because I was thinking, well, maybe, maybe they're from another country and they don't understand our, our rules and our laws and our culture and all that kind of stuff because we like to queue up sometimes. Um, but then later on, as I was walking to my gate, and this couple was a, an older woman. It looked like what her, was her daughter. And they were, daughter looked like she's my age, and her mom was obviously much older than that. And I'm walking to my gate, and they blow by me. And they're running to their, their flight. And the poor little elderly lady's dragging her bags, and, the, and the, the, her daughter's yelling at her in some language. I didn't know what it was, but I could tell it was, it was uh, not nice. So they had a little stress on them. And I thought, hmm. I first started out with judging them, but they had something else going on. I don't know where they were going or what the reason for their run. Obviously, they were late for their flight, but I thought, gosh, God, that's, that's a good lesson for me internally because I judged them at first, but they obviously had something else going on in their life which caused them to run. So for me, that personally, I'm just sharing what's going on in my life. Um, that's where this text stood out to me. Pray for your enemies, which is the next one, but don't, do not resist the one who is evil. But if someone slaps you on the right cheek, don't turn, turn the other one to him. Don't be retributive. Give to the one who begs from you and to refuse not the one to borrow from you. Now, we could go down each one of these and spend a, a whole sermon on them, and, and I wish we had the time to do that because there's a lot of other things in there about, uh, you know, especially people who need money, to, and you see them begging out on the streets. God also tells us if he's not willing to, to work, then they shouldn't eat. So this is not about... Uh, judging that person in the moment, because there, there is that aspect of it. But he's saying, you know what? Listen to the Holy Spirit. Develop the heart and the character to think about others more, more important than yourselves. And he's also calling us, again, to follow the spirit of the law and not just the letter. Because it's easy for us to, to get internally and go, you know what? They, they offended me, so I'm just going to offend them back but we don't know what all is going on in their life to meet someone where, where they are. Okay, the second point. We're going to get to the next paragraph. So do not retaliate, but relate. And then verses 43 through 48, Jesus is telling us to do not hate, but have extra grace and extend love to all. Do not hate, but give that love and grace to all. So it's kind of a repeat of the first one, but he's going to flesh it out a little bit differently. Again, now here, here it says in verse 43, You have heard it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who perfect, persecute you. So here's this sixth statement. You've heard it said, but I say. 
So I was looking back, and um, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Well, I find in the Old Testament that, that God, uh, he opposes the evil, but he never says he hates it. So I was wondering where that was coming from. I did some digging and research and, and found that he never says this. But this was the teaching of the day of the Pharisees. Because he calls us to love our enemy. We'll, we'll pull that out in a second. But the hating piece was what the Pharisees were teaching because it says, love your neighbor as yourself, was Jesus' teaching. But that comes from the Old Testament. And who's your neighbor? Well, in the time, the Pharisees' neighbor was their fellow Jewish people because they did not intermingle with other uh, faith groups or anything like that because it was just the Hebrews, the Roman occupiers, and then some unbelievers. And they did not associate with them. They didn't, you know, unless they had to. They didn't have community with them. So their neighbors were actually each other. So love your neighbor as yourself. Well, the Pharisees were teaching, hate the Romans. Hate the unbelievers. And Jesus is correcting this. He's saying, I know you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemy and pray for them. That's counterculture. That is not what we like to do today. Again, we have this, this divide in our country. We've become very polarized. And Jesus is saying, love them. Understand. It doesn't mean you have to agree with them. It doesn't mean you have to affirm everything about them. But you can also disagree with them and still love them and extend that grace and love of Christ. So let's look and see where he gets this. Let's go over the, the next slide. This greatest commandment comes from Matthew 20, 22. I already kind of said it. I mean, they... The scribes grab Jesus and they say, Hey, Jesus, about all the Old Testament laws, what are the greatest? And he says, The greatest of these is love your Lord, your God, with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. And the second one is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. He's not pulling that out of thin air. Actually, he pulls it out of Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, so back to Leviticus, says, You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he puts the purpose on there. I am the Lord. So why do we love our neighbor? Because God is God. And that he, yet while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He loved us first and foremost. Therefore, we are to love our neighbors. Again, we don't affirm what they do. We are to love them. This is foundational to, to, the, to what is the Torah, the first five books first five books of the law. And James says it this way in James 2.8. He calls it the royal law. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. He qualifies. He says, you are doing well. And by Jesus using this, it's again, he's developing the character of who he is to not hate, but extend that extra grace and love to all. And he mentions this in the Beatitudes where we started several weeks ago. In Matthew chapter 5, verse, verse 9, it said, Blessed are the peacemakers, the love for all, for they shall be called the sons of God. The sons of God. And he mentions this right here in this passage. Verse 44, look back to it with us, or look back with me. But I say to you, love your neighbor, or love your enemies, and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be the sons of your father who is in heaven. So he qualifies it. This is our heavenly father. So this sonship is tied to how much we love and reflect his nature and his glory. And tells us two things, because as we're declared, or God declares us 
He can see us as his son and special daughter because we have accepted Christ into our lives. We now have that heir and that sonship and that daughtership. He says, now, because of that, I need you to go out into the world, be countercultural, and demonstrate whose you are because you represent Christ and you're my son, you're my daughter, therefore represent me. And it's also a calling for us to be committed to the growing in Christ, which is why Jesus has, has this here. He's saying, be different. Don't be just like the world. And he talks about it and he says, hey, the sun rises on the evil and the rain rains on the just and the unjust. It's the same. We're all living in this world. This is God's common grace. And as we react to that and we treat other, each other appropriately, he's saying that's going to reflect my glory and my love. And you're going, to, you're going to, through those actions, point others to where that source of your love comes from, which is Christ. Because the sun is on both of you. And sometimes the sun causes us to suffer. And you're suffering equally. But it's how we go through that suffering. As Christians, we could say, my Lord and my God, you have brought this on me, but I know you're going to bring me through it. Those who don't know him go, how, do you, how can you do that? It's so easy for us to go, because of Christ. But if we're a jerk, they're not going to listen to us. So Jesus is saying, don't be a jerk. Love those who persecute you. And he also, in verse 46, he kind of makes it kind of practical. So if you love... Uh, if you just love those who love you, what reward do you have? Okay, he's not saying don't love other people. He's a little bit, uh, being a little uh, hyperbolic here. He's saying, yeah, obviously love. But if you only love your neighbor who's just like you, who's in your community group, in your little clique, and you don't love anybody else, you're just like the unbelievers who do the same thing. They love their own people. They love their own tribes. So do not even the Gentiles do the same in verse 47? He's calling us to develop that character and nature which is different. And sometimes that calls us to really just kind of listen and watch for people who are in need. Um, last night, Heather and I were watching some, some uh, just wasting some time watching some funny YouTube videos. And one caught my attention. And there's this guy, it's, it's from his point of view, and he's walking down kind of a strip mall, and he comes across this, this worker and a security guard. And the worker is animated, and he's angry, and the security guard's trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, there's obviously some tension there, and he's talking about his work, and he's you could tell from uh, his demeanor and his work clothes that he's probably kind of a low-income worker. Um, he looks like he'd been doing some physical labor, maybe in a restaurant. And this guy comes up, and he's got the video camera, and he's like, hey, buddy, what's, what's going on? And he, he returns some kind of anger, and he says, I got this going on. These people don't like me. And he had this little football. And he said, let's just throw this football back and forth for a few minutes. And the guy immediately does, and he changes his countenance immediately. So the guy on the video enters into this guy's space, where I don't know if you all, but for me, and I saw a security guard talking to somebody who's very angry and upset, I'm probably going to walk around. But no, this guy entered into it. And he started throwing the football, and he immediately calmed down. It was kind of a, 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 a toy football or something, wasn't it? It had a little pocket in it. And so throwing the football back and forth, they start talking. And they, the guy on the camera says, hey, man, what's going on? He's like, oh, I'm just having a bad time. I'm, I'm down on my time or anything like that. And he's like, well, look inside that football. He opens it up, and there's a big wad of money. He says, I just want to bless you. Because God told me to come here today. And God told me I would come down this sidewalk and I would meet somebody who needs to be blessed. And the, the guy who was just a few minutes earlier angry and emotive and looked like he, he needed to be you know, put in handcuffs is now weeping and thankful 
and said, you just don't understand what I go through. You don't understand my life. To me, that was a picture of what Jesus is saying here is love those who you perceive are your enemies because you don't know what they're going through in life. And as Christ followers, he's saying, listen to that small, still voice and act upon it when God says, be present for somebody. It's my challenge for you, for all of us today. Be present for one person that you come across today and then tomorrow and the next day. I've talked to... um, I've known a lot of waitresses and waiters in, in my life, so I come across them, and, and they tell me, um, and you can re- look this up online too, I've had it verified by friends, the worst time for tips for waiters and waitresses is when? After church on Sunday. So if you're going to go to dinner, let's be countercultural and tip your waiters and waitresses well. Another way to do it is do you tip them on how well they serve you, or maybe just tip them out of the graciousness and love of your heart be different? Because people who work on, at restaurants on Friday nights and Sunday afternoons, they're not there because they want to be and serve you your cocktail or your, your plate of, I don't know, barbecue fries. They're there because they have a need. If you have the ability, be that blessing to them. And if they don't get your order right, that's okay. We all make mistakes. You probably didn't get your, somebody's order right at some point in time either. Be gracious. Extend that love to them and don't hate them. Because we all live under the same sun and the rain beats down on us. And Paul writes in Romans, your kindness reflects God's kindness that will lead them to repentance in Christ. So go the extra mile, even when you, don't, even when you think they don't deserve it. But we're not naturally going to do that. If we're forced to go a mile for somebody else and it's a requirement, we're going to go that mile and then we're done. It's not natural for us to want to go more. But by God's perfect power and love, He's going to build that into you if you come to Him and say, God, I want to develop the heart with you. I want to understand what it really means to be holy. And it's not that we're perfect. It's not that we are without sin. But it's the idea that we are developing and growing the character and nature of God so that we can love other people well, we can point them to Christ and show them the the purpose and the reason for our security in Him. Go and spread the gospel and it works in how you do it. Let's look at verse 48 and see this big point of what Jesus is talking about, really from verse 21 on. These six ideas, you've heard it said, but I have said. He says, verse 48, You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That sounds like, be holy because I'm holy, right? Kind of a parallel. That's a high bar for us to get to. Our natural inclination when we join a club or we get to a job is we want to do the best we can, hopefully you do, uh, because you're working for the Lord, but we're going to try to climb that ladder for success and promotion and get there and get the best that we can be. That's what God's calling us to do. But while you're climbing that rung or that ladder, do it for the glory of God, not the elevation of yourself. The problem is we take that idea into into the spiritual realm. We take that idea into our walk with Christ, and it's so easy for us to fall into to be better, to be Christ-like, to be holy, to be perfect. Is Okay, what are the steps I have to do to do that? And Jesus is breaking that whole system down to this whole thing. And he says, you therefore must be perfect, for your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, what does that mean? 
This word he uses is teleos. It's the idea of where we get the telos, the end result, the purpose, the meaning. What is your calling in your life? Why are you here? This is, Jesus has given the answers to those, those philosophical questions of why are you here? What's your purpose in life? Where are you going? And he's saying, just develop the heart of me. What is your purpose? In the ethical world, they, they tell us is, uh, what, what is, what are you created for? The highest good. And Jesus is laying out all the philosophies in life about what is the purpose in life. And he's saying, to enjoy God, give him glory, love other people. That's what he's saying. It is not what the Epicureans say, which is to just be happy, which is what our society falls to. If the end goal is to be happy, you will never find it. It will never end. Because how much money do you need to be happy? More. You never have enough. It's never satisfying. But if you look to use that as a tool for God to bring others to Him, it's like Aristotle. Aristotle said, what's the purpose of an eye? What's the end game? What's the telos of your eye? The telos of your eye is to see. The telos of your heart is to pump blood. So what is your telos? What is the reason you're here to glorify God, to enjoy Him from other, forever, and to bring other people to Him. That is your telos. So if you're wondering about, okay, what am I doing with my job? What do I do with the next job? Where am I going to move? God's going to sort that out. It's all okay. Follow His urging. Follow where He's calling you to be. But as long as you are walking with Him, you will find the per- perfection. There's a great theologian, John Wolverd. John, you, you know who he is? Dr. John Wolford. <laughs> Dr. John Wolford was the, uh, the president of Dallas Theological Seminary. Dallas Theological Seminary was, is a conservative seminary in the Dallas area, obviously, because it's called Dallas Theological Seminary. Uh, and they started it as a, as a reaction to some of our seminaries in the Northeast to become very liberal. They watered down the gospel, and they even denied the deity of Christ. Places like Harvard, Princeton. So they developed and built a Dallas Theological Seminary in the 50s, Dr. Wolver was the president for 25 years. He says on this idea of being perfect, he said, while sinless perfection is impossible, this side of heaven, you're not going to be sinless. He's calling us to be perfect, but what is he really saying? Dr. Wolver says it this way, but in its biblical concept, godliness is attainable. That's what he's talking about. We're not going to be perfect, but we can be more godly every day. To love other people, do not retaliate, be about relationships. So a couple application points to do that. Seek to follow the laws and rules that honor our Heavenly Father. We read that earlier where God told the Hebrews, follow my statutes, I'm sending you to a land. If you don't follow them, the land's going to vomit you out. Kind of a picture of, of Jonah and the whale, right? So follow me, but don't be legalistic in it. Don't just follow the rules because you're climbing the ladder. Follow the spirit and the letter of the law. They go together because the law without a heart is just rules. You've got to have the heart of Christ. Seek the high road in all circumstances. Again, it's developing this character. Listen to that small, still voice in your heart, which is the Holy Spirit's urging, if you know him, and not your truth, which is sin. Listen to the Holy Spirit and move towards that extra mile with God, because that's where the joy is. 
And then you will develop, God's going to develop that desire in your heart to, when someone asks you, hey, I need this, you're going to say, oh, you need that? How about a little bit more for the glory of God? He's going to develop that desire in your heart to grow more. And this is supernatural. Let's go back to our main point. Keep going. There you go. Their big idea today. This is, I think, what Jesus is saying through here. If I can even approach his throne and say, I think, Jesus, is what you're saying. God calls us actively, so there's a piece of us, to conform our character. But we can't do this without his supernatural power at work in us. This is not about just being a better person. This is knowing whose you are and who you represent and knowing the risen Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Dr. Wolverton said it well. He said, you're not going against this perfection, but you can obtain biblical godliness as you walk with him. You spend time with believers. Come on Wednesday night to study with us this idea of essentials of Christianity. Come share a mirror with us. I know another great theologian who captures this well. Let's bring that up. There she is. We were talking about this last night, and she said this to me. I think it's, it captures it well. Give God something to work with. A lot of times we don't even get to the starting line. So give God something to work with actively with you so that he can form your heart and image to God so you can understand that Jesus laid it all down for you. He was that final sacrifice in the Old Testament. We talk about that a lot in the Old Testament today. The sacrificial system, he was the last lamb for God so that... You can have eternal life in Him if you believe Him. If you believe that He died and He rose again, you can have that. But it's not just that. It's not just eternity with Him. He's calling you to a mission. What is your purpose? What is your telos in life? To glorify God, enjoy Him forever, and carry out the Great Commission. To walk in love with others, to bring them to Him as well. Let us pray.